Welcome in, everyone, and thank you for listening to the 258th ever episode of the Missouri Sports Podcast, brought to you by 106 Apparel and recording from the MSP studio in beautiful Springfield, Missouri. I'm one of your hosts, Cameron Albert, alongside my good friend and fellow Mizzou fan, Kyle DeVries. How are you doing today, Kyle? I'm doing incredible, Cameron. How are you? I'm doing well. Uh, just got back from vacation. I was ready to talk about it, you know, really explain it all, but nobody wants to hear that. Because Williams Winery is a Missouri Tiger. Ladies, well said. Ladies and gentlemen, we got him. We got him. Number one player in the country, as far as I'm concerned. Just happened like a uh, couple hours ago. He made his decision. I made his announcement. And it has been a roller coaster, to say the least, leading up to this pivotal moment. And we've been talking about it uh, for the last couple months. It was like we were not even talking about him six months ago because it was like Oklahoma, all the crystal balls were Oklahoma. Oklahoma had the momentum. They had been on top of the recruitment for so long. And yeah, like a month ago, everything changed. And here we are. I think it was the NIL law that was like kind of like whenever the legislation went through for it it was like oh uh by the way we've got this thing going on williams yeah. uh, let us tell this, you about it does this interest you yeah. and i really think that's when things really kicked off I, th- I mean missouri was always there but they were they were not the leaders of this recruitment for most of the time so if you look at the recruiting profile consensus he's number three player in the country but the website on3.com has him as the number one overall player in his class, regardless of position. They have him, They invented a new thing called Five Star Plus, which they give to like the tippy-top best players in the country. And he is a Five Star Plus on On3.com. Uh, yeah, just incredible recruiting win. One of the biggest recruiting get from Missouri since DGB. Probably. I mean, obviously, we had Luther Burden. I mean, this will be remembered right alongside those those two, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was really fun to follow, obviously, from a Mizzou perspective, because once we were... Sorry, of, let me interrupt you. Coffee yeah. for closers. Oh, absolutely. Go right ahead. Let me pour myself some. Yeah, sure. Uh, once it was like, okay, Missouri might be in this thing. It was like pretty quickly, like, okay, this is this is real. And so even from like a, a neutral perspective, like if just for somebody that was just watching this recruitment from afar with no dog in the fight, I got to think this would have been one of the most entertaining battles to follow if you really, you know, took the time to kind of look at both Missouri and Oklahoma and read the message boards and read Twitter. And I mean, it maybe it sounds kind of silly to say this, but I mean, it felt like like actual war. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like it, it was like all this dis- disinformation and like, propaganda and like just people just floating out opinions to just muck everything up and yeah. there's just like insiders was, in quotes from both sides reporting things yeah. giving out rumors yeah it's it, crazy yeah i think uh rivals.com made a lot of money in the deal oh man and uh, a lot of people were signing up to see that exclusive content yeah yeah i you know we got to give out a, give a shout out to gabe and the work they did for sure at, at power mizzou i mean they he you know he did a really good job covering this and you know it was just crazy you know reading some of the things that that Gabe had to say uh, in some of his perceptions of 
what was going on, you know, and kind of contrasting that to what the Oklahoma Rivals guy was saying. And, you know, there was there were some really uh, interesting things said, you know, along the way. And, you know, at the, moment, the momentum was changing at different times. And even just a few nights ago, if you really believed what the Oklahoma guys were saying, things looked actually pretty bleak there for a little bit for Missouri. And, you know, it sounded like it was just complete air. Right. Uh, nothing had changed in his rec- recruitment at all. But, you know, though, I, everyone's talking about the phrase dead in the water, mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. this Oklahoma Rivals guy said Missouri's momentum was dead in the water as of just a few nights ago. Only the momentum was dead, though. Th- that's true. Yes. The momentum. Whatever that means. So, yeah, he was making these very, like, dramatic claims. And I'm not going to lie. I was pretty worried there, like, when I fr- was reading some of those things because he was so confident. Yeah. Now, obviously, considering how it all ended, looking back at that, that is just fantastic that... It seems like his camp, which I love this, honestly. If I was a recruit, I would do this exact same thing where I would just tell everybody, I'm I'm coming. I would just, if if it was a recruitment like this, which, first of all, it's just insane. Like all these websites, all these reporters, all these fans digging into everything, trying to turn over every stone to get one tidbit of information that could clue us into what's actually going to happen. And you'd have to feel like at some point, I don't know. I just love the decision. If that's what actually happened to, to tell every school involved, like, yeah, you got, I'm coming. And then, uh, just save the real decision for the actual moment. I don't know. I love that misinformation, uh, sort of lets the recruit sort of regain control of the situation. Yeah. Keep everybody on edge. Nobody knows what's actually going to happen. Yeah. Everybody thinks I'm going to their school. That is true. It does feel like in this day and age, there's oh, there's not a lot of recruitments that you know we genuinely don't know what's going to happen when we're tuning into the the announcement. So, and I still feel like we felt pretty confident um, here, but it's been a roller coaster, man. It's been all over the place. Uh, I feel like there's been times where I've been ecstatic. There were moments where I felt pretty felt pretty down and felt like. Uh, Maybe we were dead in the water, but that was definitely not true. In the last 24, 48 hours, all of the crystal balls started coming in of the people that were just putting their last minute decision in just to increase their the, the national guys' their correct percentage yeah. uh, prediction. When that starts to happen, then you then you feel pretty good about it for sure. And and I feel like some of the stuff we were hearing and the way the timelines matched up with Coach Drinkwitz tweeting and hearing the rumors about the decision potentially being made a few weeks ago, I was at the point personally where I was all in on him coming to Mizzou and if it was Oklahoma, that was going to be devastating because it wouldn't have made any sense. It would have been an incredible bit of misinformation or something. And I got scared that... And who knows how much this actually happens, but you hear about recruits changing their mind or getting frustrated by one camp because they let information out too yeah. early and, you know, people, it becomes less of an event than deciding because everybody knows what's happening before it's announced. Right. And in a situation where the recruit is clearly like telling multiple camps, yes, that seems like a situation you might want to be careful with because exactly. they want control and they want yeah. the surprise element. And so when I saw all this good momentum for Missouri, when I saw people being like, this is, it's all coming, it's all making sense. This has got to happen. I was like, please. We're still too far away from that announcement. Yeah. Let's yeah. just not, get, let's not put all this out on the internet. Let's just 
be happy about it in our heads yeah. and privately yeah. in our friend groups and things, but let's not, uh, let's not publish this too much. Yeah. Well, you know, that's not going to happen, Yeah. but I feel like Missouri Twitter was just, I mean, they just do their thing, you know, uh, I'm proud of Missouri Twitter and just the general presence online that Missouri, I mean, it just seems like, I mean, I've, we've been on Missouri Twitter for a while, many years. But there's just been a movement in the last couple of years, and I don't really know what it is, but maybe just some younger fans yeah, yeah. that have like kind of, I don't know, just taken over the reins a little bit of of the Missouri Twitter uh, representation, and yeah. I'm, I'm all for it. But man, it's it's been fun, and it's been it's fun seeing all the trash talk, and then to be able to back it up is just so sweet. Like if somehow. Uh, we didn't win this this recruiting battle. It would have been so devastating, yeah. like to, to deal with the aftermath. But uh, you know, we we kind of talked some smack, and, and we were we were able to back it up. Yeah, I it, I want to echo your shout out to Mizzou Twitter, and it has been fun. I've been following some more accounts lately. I feel like uh, I don't know. I was kind of checked out on Twitter in general for a while, and uh, finding some of these younger uh, kids that are taking over the reins of uh, the Mizzou social media experience. It's nice to see. I know, obviously, there's lots of fan accounts that have been around for a long time, but it's good to see some good takes out there from the youngsters. Um, yeah, so what does this do for Missouri's recruiting class uh, for 2024? I can't help but feel like it, it opens some things up that maybe were closed off to us before. And obviously, people like to talk about this upcoming season playing a factor, and you know nothing's over till signing day. But when you've got the number one player in the country committed, uh, that's just another thing to point to and be like, "Look what we're building." Yeah, uh, come stay in state. You know, I'm I'm thinking of like uh, like uh, Tyon Gray who committed to Oregon. Like, hey, you know, see what we got going on come here. Back, yeah, man. get back in the fold here. Yeah, um, for sure. And I mean, the fact that it's still, what are we, five months from yeah. signing day? You know, I, w- I will throw in. I, you know, I, I definitely don't think this is like signed, sealed, and delivered for Missouri. You know, Oklahoma is not gonna go away. But well, let's just assume that uh, when Ari's gonna end up at Missouri and sign with Missouri. I mean, this is it's huge that it's not just like the signing day last minute thing, mm-hmm. like. He has plenty of time to, to you know, help recruit the rest of the class, and you know, we, we know Wingo is going to most likely commit pretty late in the cycle. It'll probably be um, in December, at least. That's what he's talked about so far. There have been a little bit of rumors, and it might just be wishful thinking on the part of Mizzou fans, but there have been some rumors out there that he's considering deciding earlier, mm-hmm. but uh, nothing official there. Right. But, you know, Missouri's got the momentum there, and, and it just, you're exactly right. It just opens up all these doors for uh, for other players to, to kind of notice what's going on. Nobody wants to be, you know, that one top recruit that goes to Missouri and, and every, you know, they want to be a part of a, of a movement. And mm-hmm. I think that this kind of gives the, the opportunity for something like that, like that to happen. Yeah, it's just fantastic news. Um, and to think, again, like... The way we were looking at this recruiting class not too long ago when there was only three commits yeah. 
and it was like it uh, was literally like two months ago you know, we were like pulling hey, at your tie a little bit on? like uh starting to sweat a little bit i'm definitely not worried at all no uh yeah that the uh, things changed in a hurry there yeah um moving on a little bit staying in recruiting here for a second we, we mentioned we mentioned wingo uh jeremiah mcclellan made a decision he committed to ohio state so missouri missed out there on the four-star wide receiver um disappointing but not all that surprising you have an offer from ohio state their pedigree of putting wide receivers in the nfl is unmatched right now Mm -hmm. in the last five years or so yeah uh can't really blame him too much for making that decision it is interesting though I looked at Ohio State's recruiting class of the commits they already have. I think there's one wide receiver ranked ahead of Wingo in this class, and he is committed to Ohio State. And there's a four-star, maybe he was a like lower-end five-star, but I'm pretty sure there was two wide receiver commits in this class already ranked higher than McClellan. Yep. And you got to think about the players they already have. They're going to keep reloading like this. Players don't think typically think like that, right. but they will. They might point. eventually. They should probably. Yeah. Um, I mean, like in their career, they might eventually start oh, thinking about those oh, things. One hundred percent. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I think to your point, and to the same to the same point that you made about uh, you know Winery and some of the doors that opens, I definitely would consider McClellan, you know, still still a potential you know recruit for Missouri to land by signing day. We'll see. I don't, you know, Missouri's not going to go away there. Yeah. Maybe he just hangs on with Ohio State, but wouldn't count Missouri out totally. Hey, wouldn't be the first uh, wide receiver that goes to Ohio State and then it finds his way back to Columbia. There you go. Um it was kind of funny on Discord when we were watching the decision. We we basically, you know, all the everything was saying Ohio State but then our uh, focus shifted towards, please just don't do anything with the Mizzou hat. Don't just, yeah. don't burn any bridges. Please do not desecrate the Missouri hat. Yeah, don't make the fans mad. Leave the door open a little bit. Just leave it cracked. Yes. And, and, it, and we got what we wanted there. He did. So yeah, that's a win, I guess. Mm-hmm. But uh, not as big of a win as we got today. Yeah, real quick before we move on, I, do, I was going to just add a few things about Winery and kind of the player that he is and at least from my perspective like what makes him so special and you know just watching his film it's it's kind of insane just how easy he makes it look Mm -hmm. and sometimes on high school film it's difficult to tell what level of competition they're going up against or maybe even how big they are and that kind of stuff like all those things can be tough to gauge and sometimes just all of those guys just look equally great Mm -hmm. but I definitely think Winery really stands out um, maybe more so than any defensive lineman I've ever watched, and just because of his rare like athleticism and and size, and he's already like six six, like like two sixty or something like that. He's already uh, the size that you would want for a defensive end, and potentially even an NFL defensive end. Like he's got those kind of measurables already, and just watching him, yes, he's going against you know high school offensive linemen in in the state of Missouri, but I still think they're going up against pretty good competition at least some at north and you know they've got a great program but he just like he'll do these swim moves to get past offensive linemen where like he barely even touches him yeah and he's behind him like in just a blink of an eye sometimes he's literally not touching yeah the offensive lineman is not making contact with him just and he's in the backfield yeah 
So just watching him just wreak havoc on basically any play that he wants to is really impressive. And, you know, I, I definitely wouldn't call for true freshmen to come in and make an impact, but I definitely think that he's got the the body and the the talent to be able to do so. And obviously that's, that's a, a ways away from now. He still has to play his senior season of high school, which is just insane also to think yes. about that he's like a 17-year-old kid maybe, yeah. and maybe not even that, I'm not sure. So um, it's crazy to think about how talented he can be, like how high the ceiling is. And there's truly just not very many prospects I've ever watched that possess the kind of athleticism and, and body type and, and skill that he has all kind of wrapped up in one. Yeah, so looking at 24-7 sports composite, there's only two players uh, ranked ahead of him. One's a quarterback uh, who's going to Georgia, and the other one is Jeremiah Smith, the wide receiver committed to Ohio State. But now we've got that Tiger Head logo next to his name on the recruiting services, so that's great to see. It's not that long ago that we were photoshopping the Missouri logo. Exactly. And, uh, yeah, it has said OU 100% for, like, a year. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, talking about him as a player, it's it's insane. I was reading some articles about him, and, like, the recruiting professionals trying to project him to the college level, they were saying his flexibility is incredible you can he could put on weight like he's actually kind of slim for his frame Mm -hmm. right now yeah at like 250 260 and he could just be this lean quick edge rusher that is just wouldn't even need perfect technique Mm -hmm. at the college level and he still has like that power make huge plays and then they were talking about like it's conceivable that he could bulk up to like 310 and play on the interior yeah and he would be have that kind of strength and power yeah. potentially looking at his frame. Yeah, it's pretty amazing to think about what he could do. And I, I mean, I don't really, I feel like I wouldn't say this about very many like high school prospects considering they're so far away from uh, a chance at the NFL, but he clearly is just like the prototypical type of prospect that you can almost just pencil in as, as like a top draft pick in, you know, four three four years or whatever it is from now because just of like his measurables and everything like that his measurables alone are going to get him uh you know a lot of looks from the nfl and he's just the he plays the 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 position we've talked about that recently about you know defensive linemen you know nfl nfl franchises really really look for talented defensive linemen and guys that can you know have that kind of versatile skill set and rush the quarterback and all that stuff so those guys will rise up draft boards very quickly uh, if you want to kind of look around at the college football landscape this year, um, Keon Keeley is an edge rusher that committed to Alabama that will be a f- true freshman this year. 6'5", 242 is what he's listed at in high school. So he was number two player in last year's recruiting class. Uh, Walter Nolan, defensive lineman who committed to A&M, was an interior guy. He's listed at 325. Uh, he'll be a sophomore this year at A&M. And then a guy that jumped to mind for me, who was the number one player in his class, who was just drafted into the NFL, was Nolan Smith, uh, who went to Georgia. Very different player size-wise, but uh, he was a guy that was there for three seasons. Uh, he played some as a true freshman and was making plays his entire career. And even, he, he very different though, uh, measurables not prototypical measurables for an nfl defensive lineman but just like 
incredible uh, athleticism and technique for him. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't know. It'd be kind of fun this year to see some of these younger uh, five-star defensive line recruits and maybe be able to project a little bit what could happen in the future for Missouri. Yeah, literally first defensive lineman off the board this year in the draft was Will Anderson. Uh, I think he was the third overall pick. Uh, he's 6'4", 253, so smaller than Winnery already is. Yeah, insane. Absolutely insane. Whew. That's exciting. It's exciting. Uh, so much good news for Mizzou recently. This is not normal. I don't know what to do with myself right now. Yeah. But uh, that's, you know... It's a good problem to have. It is a good problem to have, but uh, it would be off off season news. It would be off season good news. We're overdue for some in season good news. Yeah. Um. Okay. So, uh, yeah. So we had to get that out of the way. Uh, every, that's what everybody wants to hear. Um. So let's talk about what the rest of this episode is going to be. I do want to dive into some basketball recruiting because there's been some news over there. I want to catch everybody up there. Um, I was out of town for like a little over a week trying to keep up with everything. Um, we have a couple more things to add to our offense preview from last week. Uh, since it has been a while, things have changed a little bit. And then we are going to preview the entire defense going position group by position group. So strap in. That's why we got coffee. It's going to be a long episode. Uh, We're glad you're here with us. Uh, Before we get to all of that, don't forget to subscribe. If you're watching us on YouTube, leave us a review wherever you're listening to us. And of course, you can uh, support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash Missouri Sports Pod. So basketball recruiting. Uh, Coach Drinkwitz isn't the only one bringing in commitments. Uh, Dennis Gates and the basketball team, uh, mostly CY recently, uh, has landed a couple commitments. First on the 7th, got a commitment from forward Marcus Allen, uh, 6'7", 190 wing from Miami, Florida, four-star player, number 56 in the class of 2024, according to 24-7 Sports. And then also, just a few days ago, got a commitment from center Peyton Marshall, Seven foot, three hundred pound post player from Marietta, Georgia, four star, uh, number fifty seven in the class of twenty twenty four. So those two added to T O Barrett, who is already committed. At this point, early in the process, gives Missouri a top ten recruiting class, number three in the country on twenty four seven Sports, number six on Rivals. Mizzou basketball is getting things done on the recruiting trail. We'll start with Marcus Allen, the uh, wing who committed from Miami. Have you, you watched a little bit of him play? Yeah. Uh, yeah, he's a fun prospect to watch. Um, I kind of love his kind of prototype as this long wing defender, like really good really good defender. Might not blow you away offensively like right when he gets to college, but he's going to be able to work his, his way into playing time immediately, I think, just because of uh, all of the – the other skill sets that he has right now. Yeah. Um, I'm going to be honest with you, Kyle. I really like Marcus Allen. Um, watching him play, he has a few things that stuck out to me that that kind of make me think by the time, I don't think, like you're, like you're alluding to, I don't think he's like a plug-and-play starter day one who's going to command a lot of touches on offense. 
Now, he could work his way into the lineup early on because of his defense and his versatility on defense, but I don't know. He's not being asked to do a lot offensively in high school, Mm -hmm. and he has struggled shooting the ball a little bit, but his shooting form looks really good. Yeah, Very smooth, quick release, and he's able to make some mid-range jumpers. Um, Right now, his specialty is defense and finishing at the rim. Very athletic, finish lobs. Uh, finish drives off with a dunk, finish through contact. and But what intrigues me is if he could get a decent jumper, I think he could be a legit threat offensively. And he seems like the kind of player who is going to contribute on defense, rebounding, and just has his athleticism with Dennis Gates wanting to get up and down the floor. I think he'll get some minutes. And then if he develops much on offense, I think he could really be a star for Mizzou you know, like his junior season, potentially. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, it seems like it's been a long time since Missouri has landed recruits like this, where it's like they're, the, you know, they're actually highly ranked. They are the size that you would think of as like a, kind of a three and D type, like almost like an NBA size. Like, yeah. you know, the, he's, a, he's a big guy. Yeah. And that's, I, I was going to mention that he's like for his height, mm-hmm. he's not that skinny. No, like he's he, really not. Yeah. Yeah, so it feels good to just, I mean, it sounds like the laziest analysis of all time, but just he just passes the eye test, man. Just yeah. like watching him um, just kind of operate and move around on the on the floor. He just, he looks like a, a legit Division One player immediately. Yeah, there's lots of clips of him slashing to the basket, but I was also impressed he had a little bit of like back to the basket, post maneuvering, a mm-hmm. uh, turnaround jumper, some good post footwork. So I don't know. I think he's just like this, your prototypical, just versatile player that can do a lot of things. And I'm I'm thinking about like Trent Pierce is kind of getting the hype of closer to like a one and done because of his offensive uh, polish so early on. Not saying he'll for sure be a one and done, but he's closer to that realm because of his offensive polish and then i'm thinking about like kobe brown who like physically was there but needed time to develop and i'm kind of slotting marcus allen kind of in between those two guys as far as like skill set and positionally Mm -hmm. uh i don't want to get too carried away here Mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. i read a comparison online that i thought was interesting now this is a very, very good NBA player. So I'm not saying he's okay. this player, but has kind of a similar skill set that you, uh, as Kawhi Leonard. Okay. Kind of a versatile wing player known for his defense. And, uh, you know, maybe it definitely doesn't have the offense of Kawhi Leonard, but maybe a similar kind of playing style. Yeah. I mean, well, when Kawhi Leonard started college, he was not known as an offensive threat. And he had to develop that over the course of his career. So, yeah, I mean, I that comparison makes a lot of sense to me. That's obviously a super high ceiling yes. to try to attain. Yes, but he reached his uh, his highest of highest yes, outcomes for yeah, sure. Ended up being a top 10 pick. Uh, should have been an Indiana Pacer. The Pacers drafted Kawhi Leonard and then traded him on draft night to the Spurs. Do you know where he went to college? Off San Diego State. Okay. Yeah. Good job. Thanks. Uh, yeah, should have been a Pacer. That haunts me. Um, yeah, no, really. I'm, I'm super excited about, about Marcus Allen. 
And then the other news, Peyton Marshall. We had talked about him before. Seven foot, 300 pound post player. Four stars. Yeah. And I mean, he's huge. Clogs up the paint on defense. Finishes everything at the rim because he's not far away from it. (laughs) Um, If I'm being honest, I don't think he's an NBA player. And I think he's going to take a little bit of time to develop before he's super impactful in college. I feel like Allen, just defense alone, is going to be able to contribute somewhat early. With Marshall, I think he's going to have to put a lot of time in getting his conditioning uh, in order and getting in the weight room, working on his uh, body a little bit. But eventually, he's absolutely going to be a shot blocker, a guy that just makes teams not want to get into the paint. Mm -hmm. And we've seen Dennis Gates on defense kind of utilize this strategy of being super aggressive on the perimeter with his guards and wings on defense and basically being like, you're not going to make a three because we're going to pressure you out here. You're going to have to drive and we're going to try to run you right into a shot blocker. And so he fits the bill on that Mm -hmm. like perfectly. Yeah. Yeah, it it definitely uh, is kind of an underrated thing to just have a big guy that's mobile that can kind of just make things difficult down low. And yeah, watching his film, uh, yeah, there's some development that needs to happen. You, but you can see the skills, and um, you can see how mobile he is for how for how just big of a person he is. So uh, might be a, a little bit of a slower burn for sure, but could definitely help us a lot in a couple of years. A skill that did stand out to me quite a bit where he seemed advanced uh, is passing out of double teams yeah. and just passing in general, starting the fast break on an outlet pass. That stood out to me as a, a strength for him at this point. Uh, so, yeah, basketball recruiting doing incredibly well, but they might not be done yet. The scholarship situation, who knows what's going on there. There's like way too many guys slated to be on the roster this year and next year. But some of them might not have a scholarship, but NIL is paying for them to play. And it's, it's a mess trying to figure that out. But another guy to keep, in, uh, to keep on your mind is Anor Botang, who has uh, Mizzou in his top eight, along with Arkansas, Auburn, Indiana, LSU, and Ohio State. He is like kind of four-star, right on the cusp of five-star. Um, around 30th or so, depending on where you look in his class. Uh, 6'5", wing, number one player in the state of Arkansas from Little Rock Central High School. Yeah, this is definitely going to be a Missouri-Arkansas battle, I think. And and I've seen some stuff online, just some some normal Missouri-Arkansas banter. But, you know, I think both fan bases think they're going to get him as of now. And so, you know, that makes things fun. Yeah. And uh, he would be the highest-rated commit if he were to commit to Missouri. Um, you might've just already mentioned this, but it sounds like he's going to visit uh, at the end of August to Missouri. So, um, yeah, things, things sound good there. And, uh, you know, it's crazy. Like, you know, a lot of college coaches, it feels like they are maybe focusing more attention on the transfer portal because, you know, that's viable. That's a viable strategy. Just fill holes immediately mm-hmm. from uh, experienced guys in the transfer portal. And I think Missouri's going to do that, but it seems like whenever, a lot of schools are kind of zigging and Dennis Gates is just got, we're just going to keep hitting these high school guys hard and we're going to recruit better than Missouri's done in a really long time and uh, just get some of these talented high school guys too. And I love it. 
Yeah, and just like leaning on the relationships that they have in the state of Florida, but also being in on like every premier in-state guy. Yeah. Dipping down into Arkansas is just kind of insane. If they are able to get him to Columbia out of Little Rock, that would make a lot of Arkansas fans very upset. Yeah. And I would love it. That's definitely not something that happens very often is uh, a top player in Arkansas going elsewhere. Uh, so keep an eye on him. That's probably all for... Oh, a couple other basketball notes real quick. Uh, the basketball team did add a couple games to the non-conference schedule. Uh, they added a game against Seton Hall scheduled for December 17th in Kansas City. And then a game, they scheduled a home-and-home home series with Minnesota. Uh, this year's game will be at Minnesota. That'll be on November 16th. And... Uh, Looking at the non-conference schedule, some marquee matchups now. Seton Hall, Minnesota, previously scheduled. We got the border war game against Kansas in Lawrence this year. Illinois in St. Louis. We're playing Memphis, Wichita State, and Pittsburgh. That's sounds like a pretty fun lineup, honestly. Just some yeah. unique matchups. Teams we haven't we don't really play very often. Some kind of fun region regional stuff too. Yeah, it's it's, it's way fun. way too early, but it feels like last year was like this. Uh, we might have ten wins in non-conference play, but who knows what that'll mean for SEC play? Because there's a bunch of cupcakes, and this is kind of shaping up to be the opposite, where we might be like five hundred going into SEC play, but having played some solid teams, yeah, in Ken, some difficult environments. Ken Palm's gonna love it. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, just need to show up for a few of those. It'd be nice to play well. In, uh, in old Lawrence, Kansas. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that's all for basketball. And this is the defense preview episode, but we do have to add a few things to our offense uh, conversation from last week. Um, we had an update from camp that it looks like Connor Tollison, as you predicted, uh, looks looks like he probably locked up the center position. Yeah. Um, you know, I think that's, we talked about this last week and, you know, we actually, because you were going on vacation, had to record that one pretty early, um, like probably five or six days before it actually came out. But, mm-hmm. you know, that's something that I think just as a fan base, fans everywhere, not just Missouri, forget just about how players can develop and get better. And that's just great to see that Tolleson is, you know, as a recruit that was pretty heralded, uh, the high expectations for him coming in. Uh, it's good to see that kind he's... Kind of forced to play too early. Exactly. Yeah. Just like physically, just was not ready. Like yeah. his body, he was just, he was undersized. He just wasn't ready. And a lot of offensive linemen or really freshmen in general aren't expected to have those, you know, aren't expected to do that. And uh, an offensive line might be one of the most difficult places to have to, to play when you're not physically ready. So he had to do something that a lot of people are not asked to do. And um, so I'm, I'm glad that he's getting another shot at it. I'm gl- And uh, I hopefully... I mean, it, it still sounds like he's kind of undersized, honestly. He's been working all year to uh, kind of bring his weight up and stuff, and that it just takes time, and he had a long way to go. And Coach Drink did shout him out as having done a good job on, in that area so far. Yeah. Yeah, so that sounds like, uh, you know, we, we kind of thought that might be best-case scenario if Tolleson can just win this, this center job, improve, and actually kind of take control of this job so Cameron Johnson can move to his most natural position at guard. And uh, yeah, Coach Drinkwitz did confirm that that Johnson's been playing guard, probably right guard, 
and uh, and Tallison will. I guess that means Tallison won the center job. Yeah, I, I really like that. That's uh, I think very good news for the prospects for the offense in general, and obviously the offensive line. Um, I did want to add one thing. You know, as often as a player kind of gets thrown out there and actually rises to the occasion and improves and progresses and cements themselves as the starter. I feel like we've seen times where a freshman goes out there and they're a little, you know, uh, they're out there too early and it just like messes them up for their entire career. Like they can't get over the fact that they, the first time they went out there, they weren't able to perform. Yeah. I had those fears with Drew Locke after the 2015 season. Oh yeah. That's a good example. I was a little afraid that he might've just been thrown into the fire too early. Yeah. Obviously that was not the case. Um, now there has not really been a solid update, but it's sort of like a trend that is continuing in the quarterback conversation. Um, trying to think about anything that happened since we last talked and there was some videos out of camp of the quarterbacks. Uh, shoot, I forget her name. I meant to write it down. Uh, Natalie something has been uh, tweeting out some really nice videos of the quarterbacks. And, uh, yeah, I kind of agree with everybody else who saw these videos that Brady Cook throwing the ball didn't look as sharp as Horn or Garcia. But at the same time, we kind of knew that if you're just watching them throw and you're looking at, like, who has the most zip on the ball, we could have predicted that he wouldn't have looked as good there. Yeah. Our... For sure, fans are reading too much into those videos, but not all of maybe not all of them are. Maybe there is something to read into that. What do you think? Uh, yeah, first of all, Natalie Jones yes. uh, from ABC Seventeen. Thank you for all the great camp content. It's been it's been really fun watching all the quarterbacks go through the drills and stuff. But yeah, I agree with you. I mean, it just yeah. I mean, it kind of confirmed what we've known is that if you're just looking at them throwing the ball. It doesn't seem like Brady Cook has has the arm talent that you know maybe Jake Garcia or Sam uh, Sam Horn has. And I'm predicting the YouTube comment now. Like when you just look at them throwing the ball, like oh well, that's kind of important at the quarterback position. Yeah, yeah, it is important. Um, but that's there's just so much more that goes into it. And I don't know, man. We're not we're not in the locker room. We're not at practice. You know, we don't know these players personally. I it just it's a tough thing to get right. And I think that I agree that Brady Cook is definitely trending to be the starter. And I think maybe we still have hopes of, of seeing multiple quarterbacks play. But if we had to face Kansas State in week one, which we almost have to really, but I think it's Brady Cook the whole game probably. And just because there is that trust level there, and I think that there is just a hope that he can improve. Every time Coach Drinkwitz has been asked about it, he cites leadership and experience yep. over and over again. And he said, most recently, he said, Brady Cook has the leadership on lock, basically. Yeah. And that uh, Sam Horn is, is getting there. He'll get there. Uh, and he actually praised uh, Jabari Johnson on his leadership of the freshman class more than, more than he praised Garcia or Horn, I think. Jabari Johnson looks great. Yeah on the field too of what we've seen but yeah i just you know trying to read between the lines i'm just we're literally just taking every possible quote and video and everything that we can find and just over analyzing it but you know if i'm forced to read between the lines it really does just feel like um sam horn just isn't ready 
like off like it's off the field he just probably hasn't really done exactly what coach has expected him to do maybe in the classroom or you know in film room or whatever it is you know the talent is no question we all know that but maybe he just hasn't done what has been expected of him to prepare for someone who is leading the team because that's that is the job of the quarterback right it it seems like he hasn't asserted himself as the leader of the offense which is what the quarterback is and brady cook did that last year to some satisfaction yeah and then on the other hand there's that argument in the back of my mind of the most frustrating thing about graduating from college and trying to find a job and getting denied and being because i was told that i didn't have any job experience right and it's like that catch 22 of like how am i going to have experience if you don't give me a chance right and i feel like sam horn probably is feeling that a little bit right now and how do you assert yourself as the leader like you're trying to like usurp basically you're trying to like usurp brady cook who you're yeah. probably friends with or and friendly with exactly yeah. at the so very least that's kind of that's a difficult position for everybody around i would say all it around is. and so that's why on you know we'll have to actually see coach uh you know put his money with his where his mouth is in you know these first couple of weeks of actual games and uh well i guess we'll see how much of this is coach speak I keep reaching for my glasses. I keep like reaching to my what to adjust to my glasses. I sat on my glasses. Oh, that's embarrassing. And broke them. And they were already my backup glasses. So I've got an appointment Wednesday. I uh, my eyes aren't terrible, so I can manage without them. Um not supposed to drive without them, but how many fingers am I holding up? Uh 3. You really weren't sure? I was sure. It okay. was 3. <laughs> um yeah. Anyway, Back to the offense. Just see how many times I like reach for my eye area. We, uh, I wanted to talk a little bit more about Kirby Moore because that's a huge change to the offense from last year to this year is the addition of an offensive coordinator. And I felt like we didn't quite get to that enough last week. So I wanted to circle back around there. And, um, you know, you and I aren't like the most tuned into the X's and O's of everything, uh, believe it or not. But um, what do you have any insight or any feeling about what Kirby Moore could be bringing to the table? And obviously some of it's dependent on who is throwing the ball, but um, any thoughts there on the transition to Kirby, Kirby Moore as OC? Yeah, I, I think I'm just excited to see a different perspective that's maybe a little bit unbiased in the, the quarterback situation. Like obviously... He has no ties to Brady Cook or anybody in the room. He's not giving preferential treatment to anybody in the room. And in some ways, you're kind of starting at ground zero, at least you would hope. Uh, If he has any weight in who's starting at quarterback, you would think he would at least have some say in that conversation. So I'm happy that they're getting kind of a fresh fresh perspective there. And I think it just helps the whole team that coach, that's just one thing that he's not having to deal with because clearly he was trying to be the hero and do too many things at once. And not many coaches... In college football, do that. They don't call the plays. They don't recruit. They don't do all of those things at once. They just kind of manage it. And even fewer do all of those things well exactly. at the same time. Yeah, basically nobody. Yeah. So I, I was really happy just to see him kind of relinquish those duties, be able to say, I just can't manage all of this at once. Delegate a little bit. Delegate a little bit. And, you know, I think... Uh, I think Kirby Moore is potentially kind of an up-and-comer in the industry. Obviously, there's a lot of talent in that family. His 
His brother is a very talented offensive mind, and he was the offensive coordinator at the for the Dallas Cowboys, and now he's with the San Diego, not the San Diego, they have been San Diego for a while, <laughs> for the Los Angeles Chargers, and is honestly one of the brightest minds in the NFL. Honestly, I think a lot of people would say that about his brother. So the the football is there in, in the Moore family for sure, and you know it's it's tough to know exactly what to will transfer over from his time at Fresno State because. Um, he had the luxury of having a very good quarterback, uh, Jay Kaner, who's now plays for the New Orleans Saints. So um, it's tough to know if they're going to do the same things um, because the, his quarterback at Missouri will probably not be as good as Jay Kaner was, at least uh, as senior Jay Kaner. So yeah, um, it's, it's just not – it's tough to know what to draw from whenever you watch Fresno State play and how that's going to translate to what Missouri does. Right, and – there's already been talk about how the overall scheme and strategy isn't going to stray too far from Drinkwitz's system. And so that's probably making some fans, you know, raise their eyebrows and be like, okay, is this just, are we just going to see the same offense, but it's just a different guy, you know, dialing up the plays. And it does feel like a lot of, uh, a lot of the videos I've watched from camp are like those same like horizontal passes, even when they're just in drills. I'm Mm -hmm. like, Please, more passing over the middle. Yeah. I mean, they've talked about explosiveness and, and, you know, making that a point of emphasis for the offense. But I felt like we've heard some of that last offseason. Yeah, they were talking about bunker mentality before last season. And last season was the most bunker mentality I've ever seen. Yeah. So, yeah, talk is cheap for sure. Um, You know, there has been talk about more explosion, more passing, uh, more downfield attack. Um, But I guess I'll believe it when I see it. From... Uh, one thing that he has talked about is like getting the running backs involved more creatively, moving them around the formations and stuff like that. Uh, maybe getting them more involved in the passing game. And we have been hearing some good things from camp about Nathaniel Pete, that he's uh, slimmed down a little bit, looks quicker and maybe look for him to be more involved in the passing game. But I'm curious, uh, if we go with Brady cook as a starter, and we know last year what he was able to do running the ball. Do you feel like the offense should commit more of the scheme to RPOs, uh, speed options, and stuff like that with him behind center? I think so. And honestly, that might be um, a reason why Brady Cook has a little bit more of an advantage over Sam Horn because of his running ability. And uh, RPO, if you're not familiar with the term, is just run-pass option where there's... I'm sure most people are familiar with the term, but just in case you're not, it's you know kind of where the quarterback has to read the play and make a decision on the fly, whether he's going to hand the ball off to the running back, whether he's going to throw the ball, whether he's going to take off with it and run based on what the defensive end does. Yeah. So there's a lot that the quarterback kind of has to read in the moment and know what the best play is for that, but whatever the defense gives them. And so I do feel like if they're going to use more RPOs, it does feel like Brady Cook's kind of game experience and his running ability does give him an edge there. Right. Yeah. That's all I was going to mention is that's yet another hurdle for like the learning curve for someone like Sam Horn. For sure. That's a lot of very quick decision making. And I wouldn't mind having a really solid RPO scheme in place uh, down the line. You know, that's the kind of thing that can put you over the edge if you have that sort of, I don't know the word I'm looking for, but. And typically offenses that run RPOs, they a lot of times those offenses do kind of funnel a lot of their production to like one or two wide receivers and Mm -hmm. a lot of it's pretty quick passes they've got Mm -hmm. to get the ball out quickly so you know i think that potentially bodes well for uh luther burden 5,000 targets on a season campaign 
Yeah. So that's the offense. Uh, we just felt like we had a few more things to add there. And uh, because of the gap in recording, uh, you know, there was some news there. So still feeling pretty good about the offense. But I can tell you right away, we're feeling better about the defense. Uh, this Missouri Tiger defense was phenomenal last year. Um, was the reason Missouri won a couple games, was the reason Missouri was in some games late that they couldn't pull out because of the offense. And they were just really fun to watch. The defense was making plays in the backfield. They were, you know, creating turnovers, scoring touchdowns. They were a pleasant surprise, too. Yes. If you remember what Missouri's defense looked like two seasons ago. Right. And um, we've talked about it before, but last this time last year, we were going through the roster, looking at the defense, and we're thinking, holy cow, like, we've got some guys with experience that are talented. They've brought in the right kind of transfers. We could have a special defense on our hands here. And there was a new defensive coordinator. Right. Yeah. Blake Baker came in. Could be good or bad. Right. And uh, he showed that he's the guy for the job. And uh, they were incredible last year. So now let's try to figure out if we're going to have a repeat or we're going to have a step back. Could they be even better? I mean, the national media has caught on now and Missouri is right there. Like I've seen them top 10, top 15 in the country as far as defensive units Mm -hmm. uh, when I've seen some rankings and stuff. Uh, Kyle, pick a a position group and uh, we'll break it down position by position here. All right, let's start off with the safeties. Um, just kind of quickly running through the safeties room. Uh, we've got Jalen Carlisle, Joseph Charleston, uh, Dalen Carnell, who will probably play that kind of star, kind of nickel position. That's a little bit of a hybrid linebacker, hybrid safety position. We've got a transfer from Florida named uh, Travis Johnson, who will probably kind of share some of those snaps with Dalen Carnell a little bit at the star position. We've got Sidney Williams, who is a transfer from Florida State. And then we've got Marvin Burks, who is kind of the the talented freshman that's coming in. And then we've got Tyler Hibbler and Isaac Johnson. Excuse me, Isaac Thompson. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, just right off the bat, that's that's a very exciting list of guys right there. Um, pretty much, almost all the production is returning, except for maybe Martez Manuel is a it was was a loss for sure. Um, kind of a hot take maybe, but I remember thinking last season I would I wouldn't mind if Carnell kind of ate into Martez Manuel snaps a little bit. I love Martez Manuel. He's a very very good player. True son. True son. But I think I I was really excited to see what Carnell was going to do last year and I think he kind of lived up to that and he should have an even bigger opportunity this year. But yeah, so just as far as returning production of guys that were good last year, uh the safeties are about as good as you could possibly ask for. Yeah, uh Carlis 81 tackles, three interceptions, uh, coming off the back of having four interceptions the year before, and uh, four pl- pass deflections. Mm-hmm. He is just like, uh, this whole defensive backfield is just big play guys. Yeah. And Carlisle is that. Joseph Charleston, 53 tackles last year with one interception. Carnell, 29 tackles with three interceptions. And that's a senior in Carlisle and two juniors with uh, Charleston and Carnell. And, I mean, I think all three of them are potential NFL guys yeah. after this season. Yeah, I, I definitely think Carnell will be there eventually. It might not be after this season, but 
Carlisle's probably had some uh, opportunities this past off season, off this past off season, and decided to come back. But yeah, he's just like, man, I don't know. He's uh, he's just a big dude, and he covers a lot of ground. And so I think that does set up the opportunity for those big interceptions or those big hits and stuff. Like he's just a really fast, really big guy, and so. Yeah, he's perfect for those exciting plays. And I think what this the trend that we'll see going through all the position groups is in almost all of them, the guys at the top of the position, the starters for this Missouri defense, they're starters anywhere, just about. Yeah. And they're fighting for a starting position, I think, at any program in the country. Yeah. Yeah, one uh one guy that's been super hyped up this offseason is the Florida transfer, uh Trevaz Johnson. And, you know, I think he, you know, he's a really good player. And I think he probably transferred to Missouri thinking he's going to get more playing time. You know, he, he had like 20, like mid 20s in the tackles uh, the past two seasons of Florida. So, you know, that's he had a role, but he wasn't like the star player by any by any stretch. And I think that maybe he had an awakening when he got to Missouri that he might kind of run into the same issue um, that there's there's a lot of talented guys in this room. And I'm not going to just step into a starting role yeah but uh but just competitive depth is yeah. what coach Drinkwitz keeps talking about and that's so important too because it just obviously the uh violent sport that football is like you're just not gonna go through the season without these guys getting dinged up and like so and just the the fatigue and just the inju- little injuries that pile up and stuff you, you're not gonna want these guys to play you know, a hundred percent of the snaps and they might not even want to. So to be able to kind of mix them in and keep them fresh. And that's honestly maybe one reason why Carnell was so good last year is because he and Martez were kind of rotating and just kind of keeping each other fresh. Do you see a similar type rotation between him and Johnson then? I think so. Yeah. I think Carnell probably still playing 60 or 70% of the snaps, but Johnson will be in there a lot. And then, uh, the transfer, uh, Sydney Williams from Florida state, um, I feel like that group of five is probably, I mean, that's a solid group as you're going to find anywhere. Yeah. Yep. And uh, I think Marvin Burks has really be, has really impressed too uh, so far. And, you know, he's not going to be starting or anything probably at any point in the season unless there's injuries and stuff. But I definitely think he has, a, has the opportunity to, to shed the shirt, mm. as mm. they say. Oh, yeah. Be keeping track of those guys. Shed the shirt season. All right, safeties, excellent position group. We're excited to watch them. Uh, we should see more of what we saw last year, big yeah. plays yep. out of I, that group. Yeah, I expect uh, similar production for sure. Okay, where are we going from here? Uh, let's go to linebackers. Okay. Um, so same thing with the starters a little bit. You know, we return Tyron Hopper and Chad Bailey. Those are two very familiar names that played really well last year. I don't really expect a drop-off whatsoever there can trust those guys for sure. Um, Experienced players, you know, they've played college football for four or five seasons now. They know what they're doing. Um, Uh, Hopper, another guy that could have flirted with the NFL this past offseason. Yeah, that was a big one for sure that we were kind of anticipating, like weren't really sure what he was going to do. And so that was awesome to get him back for another season. And those are the guys that Coach Drink was talking about something to prove mantra yeah it's uh these guys coming back yeah and, and they both i believe run out of eligibility no matter what after the season mm-hmm. so they are gonna want to play their best and uh kind of rounding out the room we've got tristan newson who is a 
uh, transfer from Northeast Mississippi Community College. So that'll be a big jump uh, from JUCO to the SEC, but I fully expect uh, Newsom to get in there quite a bit this season. I, he's maybe been the single most hyped player um, of this offseason as far as someone who's just playing really, really well. He offers something that not very many people in that linebacker room can do, and that's uh, play really, really well in pass coverage. Mm-hmm. So Tyron Hopper and Chad Bailey are both great like run stoppers, but Newsom can probably uh, play in coverage as good or better than anybody else in, in the room. So he's going to be out there on pass plays a lot. Uh, we got Chuck Hicks, who transferred from Wyoming a couple of off-seasons ago, but had an injury and didn't play last season. Uh, Carmica Glass. Uh, Damian Wilson is kind of a guy that I have high hopes for, at least uh, in his Missouri career, and kind of flashed last year. I think he had to start the Georgia game and maybe a couple of other games last season and played really well. Uh, and then we've got Brayshawn Littlejohn, who is just the best name mm-hmm. I've ever heard, and he's a freshman. So... Uh, yeah, looking at, uh, again, the top of the group, Hopper and Bailey Hopper, 77 tackles last year in 13 games, uh, 13 and a half tackles for loss. Chad Bailey only played in 11 games, but had 55 tackles, eight and a half tackles for loss. Um, they're going to hold it down at linebacker position. And then, yeah, seeing Newsom, uh, get in there for like, you know, third and long type obvious passing situations. Um, do you see, uh, you know, kind of getting ahead of myself a little bit, but I think quarterback pressure out of the linebacker position is going to be more important this year than it was last year. Um, do you agree with that? I mean, yep. uh, we haven't quite talked about the defensive line yet, but yep. we're going to need to see these linebackers getting into the backfield and making the plays. Yeah, I agree. They might have to dial up some blitzes a little bit more. Um, just to compensate for maybe a little bit less of a pass rush. And that's where also, uh, you know, Carnell, uh, Dalen Carnell will be making those kind of plays too. Yep. Um, go ahead. Yeah. I was just going to say, you know, I think obviously Chad Bailey and Tyron Hopper are going to play a ton, but, you know, I wouldn't be surprised to see Damian Wilson kind of eat into Bailey snaps, maybe some. You know, he's a really good interior linebacker and uh, might be kind of the guy that we're talking about this time next year as the guy that's going to command a starting role. And, you know, so I, I kind of have high hopes for him. I think he's a good player. Should be uh, just very solid yeah. group there. With uh, Tyron Hopper, his ceiling for this year is almost unlimited. He yeah. could uh, work himself into a nice position for the NFL draft. Yeah, tackle machine for sure. And, you know, obviously this is probably a theme for – pretty much any position but you just gotta gotta stay healthy you know it is i think the room is a little bit top heavy Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. gotta keep those those starters fresh and and healthy all right uh moving on where do you want to go let's go corners okay i'm Um, excited about this group this is a good group the whole defensive backfield so exciting yeah yeah for sure and they've played together so much too i think they just have that chemistry but so obviously uh everybody knows chris abrams drain and anis rakestraw i think that's one of the better cornerback duos in college football if you know and probably i don't know top two or three duos in the sec for sure tell me if you've heard this before they had some nfl opportunities and returned to missouri yeah this past off season yeah um absolutely and again i think you're gonna have to plan on this defense looking pretty different a year from now yeah. but we'll worry about that when we get there yeah but yeah chris abrams drain you know, NFL-wise, 
maybe he's a little undersized, but mm. the dude can play out of his mind. He's so talented, and he's such a pesky cornerback with gr- great ball skills, um, just great at deflecting passes, making it difficult for, for wide receivers to do anything. And um, I think that is just such a um, like kind of an underrated thing that when you're watching a football game, sometimes you just don't really watch cornerbacks. You don't really think about cornerbacks unless they're getting an interception or something like that but they're so vitally important to just disrupting the flow of the offense and I think that's something that both Abram Strain and Rick Shaw are so good at yeah uh something that that I'll be watching for this year because you know that when you're watching on tv the camera is looking at the quarterback you're not seeing this like one-on-one battle that's happening between the defensive back and the wide receiver but watch when opposing quarterbacks drop back and then immediately have to look elsewhere. Like they look at their number one guy and they're like, and Chris Abrams drain is like covering them up. Watch that quarterback go through his reads. Almost every time that happens is because Abrams drain is, uh, is covering that guy up. Yeah. Last year he had 14 pass deflections in just 12 games. Wow. Yeah. I think we've got a, uh, signed Chris Abrams drain, like game worn Jersey around here somewhere. We have a Chris Abrams drain Jersey. Okay. Uh, not signed. Oh, it's not signed. Not signed. What? But it was, it's an official game-worn jersey. Around here somewhere. And uh, I don't know, I just feel like he's just kind of a unsung hero a little bit. Just love that about him where, he, yeah, he just kind of like I was saying about cornerbacks, they just don't really get the praise very much. But they're making the defense so much better by just doing their job. Producer Cameron, I'm about to ask a lot of you right now. In that closet behind you, it's in there somewhere. I apologize. It's, it's hanging on a hanger and uh we'll display it for everyone one of these days we've got a couple jerseys that i want to get out in front of the folks uh thank you for reminding me we'll get those out in front of everybody before too long we can show off that one since you mentioned it though okay i'm sorry everybody to uh producer cameron especially to make him do some work over there yeah um okay so moving on though we've got drayden norwood who i think is pretty clearly the third best cornerback in the room We've got Marcus Clark, Shamara McNeil, and Nicholas Deloach. Okay, it looks like we've got the, the jerseys coming on over. That's a beaut. There's the number 14. Abrams Drain. Game worn jersey. Look at that. It is not the most uh recent Mizzou football jersey. It's got the uh tiger stripes uh, on the shoulders, but uh hey. That's uh that's it's gorgeous. That's we could do there. Uh yeah. So display that for this episode yeah it's very nice sorry for the audio only folks yeah you have to tune into youtube <laughs> see the jersey i'm sure you want to see it uh drayden norwood yeah clearly the best uh the third best guy in the room i think i think he'll still play a lot kind of like we were saying earlier i mean obviously in a in a perfect world you you want chris abrams drain and ennis rakestraw taking 100 percent of those snaps but that's just not realistic so mm-hmm. You'll see Norwood in there a lot. I think he played really well last year, too, in, in kind of the times that he was asked to step up. Marcus Clark uh, transferred last year. He got in there some uh, in some of those games. And then two freshmen, Shamar McNeil and Nicholas Deloach, uh, who will, uh, you know, and maybe one of those guys might have to step up a little bit and fight for that fourth cornerback spot. So we could see one of those freshmen getting in there. Oh, uh, yeah. So it seems like we got, obviously, KD, Rakestraw, Norwood, Top three, clearly. Mm-hmm. Norwood played in all 13 games last year. He had an interception. Rakestraw, he uh, played in all 13 games, had 12 pla- pass deflections as well as an interception. 
Um, wouldn't wouldn't be bad. I mean, the safeties kind of made up for that with some interceptions of their own. But seeing the corners, you know, that doesn't have to be their focus. You know, they're um, it's better when the quarterback doesn't even throw their way. Yeah. Than it is uh, for them to necessarily have an opportunity to make a big play like that. Yeah, I feel like that's a I feel like that's a Chris Abrams drain stat for sure. It's just like uh, the quarterback only threw this direction so many times right. because it's just like we're well, not even going to try. Um, Clark, I hope that he can kind of, uh, lock down that fourth cornerback spot. And, um, then I just feel like we have a solid group of upperclassmen there. Yeah. I think he's Florida state transfer. Miami. Miami. Okay. Yeah. I was, was going to say somewhere down there in Florida. Uh, but yeah, so good group there. A good group there. Got to stay healthy. Yeah. Yeah. And going to have to hit the transfer portal after the season. Yeah. For sure. Mm-hmm. Yep. And then, um, yeah, you mentioned it, but that's, uh, that's all, all over the defense. Yep. It's going to be a bit of a reset next yeah. offseason. It's uh, one last ride for sure. A lot of guys out of eligibility. And uh, I think the, you know, Hopper returning, uh, Carly's returning, Abrams Jane returning, like they returned together yeah. to do something this year. Yeah. And that's, yeah, that's exciting. But injuries and stuff like that can derail that stuff immediately. So you just, uh, Man, I hope everything hope everything goes well. It seems like I did this last year where I said something about injuries, and everyone's like, "Really?" <laughs> <laughs> you're gonna uh, just uh, speak, and they stayed healthy. They were you're gonna just healthy. specifically mention the thing that we don't want to happen. Uh, it won't happen. We'll be fine. And uh, I think our depth is better this year than last year. Uh, but moving to the the defensive line, let's talk about defensive tackle, and we'll get to defensive end last. But defensive tackle could be really, really good, and there's still a little. I'm a little bit unsure exactly what the personnel is going to look like here, because and everything kind of hinges on what Darius Robinson is going to do. Uh, probably far and away our best defensive lineman, uh, but typically plays on the inside at defensive tackle and has been really good there. Just an enormous person, just a huge guy, and six five two ninety probably probably don't really want him playing defensive end in a perfect world um, because I just think his most natural position is defensive tackle, but that could be what needs to happen just based on personnel. But running through the rest of the defensive tackles, we've got uh, Christian Williams, uh, Jaden Jernigan, Realist George, Josh Landry, Marquise Gracial, Jalen Marshall, and let's see, did I forget somebody? Uh, Kyron Montgomery? Yes. Okay. That was, um, Kyron Montgomery is a guy that we're also a little bit unsure of, like, where he's going to play positionally. I think he came in as a defensive end and... Bulked up, got injured. Yes. Bulked up a bit. Yep. Tours ACL last year, I think, but was maybe in line to play tackle before the injury. So, um, yeah, good group of guys there. Um, Robinson and Jernigan, like you said... Uh, Jernigan, obviously, I mean, I don't know. We're plugging him right into the, the a starting job all 13 games? or Yeah, I th- if uh, if Darius Robinson plays end, uh, Jernigan's starting for sure. Okay. If Darius Robinson plays tackle, I think the other starting tackle will probably be Christian Williams, but okay. I don't know that for sure, and they're going to be mixing in there so much it probably doesn't yeah. really matter who starts. But we've got a top three then of Robinson, Jernigan, Williams. I think so. And then is, would you say that's a tier? Yeah. There's a tier break after that? I think so. And then probably Josh Landry is probably a tier of his own after that. And then you've probably got Realist George and some of the the, fre- the freshmen or younger guys. 
Okay, I can I can work with that. Yeah. Um, it seemed like Jernigan last year was just super solid, uh, kind of clogging up the middle and uh, stopping the run. Yeah. The the interior of the defensive line, um, it felt like they maybe flew under the radar a little bit, but uh, good and bad. They weren't uh, getting their name called a ton for like huge plays, but also they weren't getting pointed out as a weakness really right. either. Yeah, I think the defensive ends just played so well last year that they weren't really expected to like rush the quarterback a lot. And they just improved from the year before so, so much as far as just uh, clogging up the middle and not letting guys just absolutely gash the defense. So, yeah, I think um, honestly, Christian Williams might just be like the textbook definition of like kind of underrated, under the radar performer who just played so well last year and helped totally change the, the front of the defense so um let's if you if you're telling me right now darius robinson where's he playing most of his snaps this year you think if you had to take it, a stab at it um i hope it's on the interior okay i hope that the defensive ends can kind of step up to the challenge because there's just a lot of ambiguity there and we're going to talk about that here in just a second but yeah i I would uh i guess i'll guess darius robinson and christian williams uh kind of start on the interior with Jaden jernigan playing probably almost as much as williams and uh them kind of rotating those guys in there with josh landry that really sounds fantastic to me you just named four seniors yeah uh that's another thing i i put a star next to those four names and i well actually it's uh darius robinson Jaden Jernigan, Realist George, and Josh Landry are all on their last year of eligibility. Yeah. So, oh, gotta get it right. Yeah, it is. That is uh, the more this, the more you bring that up, it is scaring me a little bit. But that's a problem for next year's team. Yeah. Um, Marquise Gracial would be, uh, or as a redshirt freshman, would be nice to see him get in there and uh, make some plays. Of course. Yes. Now, that only leaves defensive end um, Missouri calls it the edge position and we have known for quite some time it's the biggest question mark of the defense and coach Drinkwitz even said that you think Winnery could play this year could he reclassify <laughs> and play oh man I'd take him I bet they would too um yeah so and we've mentioned Darius Robinson potentially needing to play end when that'd be playing a bit out of position yeah and honestly looking at these names it's very possible that Robinson's just going to have to move to the outside and see what happens, and then we can just have Christian Williams and Jaden Jernigan on the inside because we we know that those guys can – those two uh, can perform just fine. On Might the as well have all three of them on the field at the same time. That may that may be how, how it happens. Um, so the defensive ends are Johnny Walker, who I think will is for sure going to start um, across from most likely Darius Robinson. Uh, but he's, you know, he's been around for a while now. He's been in the program for probably three seasons now. He's he's flashed at times, a good athlete, uh, but just has to be more consistent. And you know, but I think he can do it. And so then we've got Joe Moore, who's a transfer from Arizona State, and his father played at Missouri. And uh, you know, he he played all right at Arizona State. He he got in there on on third downs uh, especially, and was you know a good pass rusher. And uh, so he's not as green as Austin Firestone, who transferred from Northwestern. And I think he just was a true freshman last year. Uh, or yeah, he, maybe a redshirt freshman. I'll try to look it up. Yeah, maybe just redshirt um, at Northwestern. But 
very, very little game experience. And so it's just tough to rely on him to come in and, uh, you know, immediately contribute. Not saying it's impossible, but it's unlikely. But that is sort of the situation for all of these guys. And then we've got Niles Gaddy, who is a transfer from Division II Jackson State. Uh, Most game experience out of any of these guys. Yeah, and, so, you know, he, he put up 40 tackles and seven sacks last year at Jackson State. So he was one, uh, he, was a, he was a highlight of their team, but that's going from Division II or, I guess, FCS to uh, SEC. That's a massive jump. And so that's basically the theme with all of these guys is, like, could they be good? Maybe. Uh, they might not be. We just, we just don't know. We just don't know anything about them until they're uh, in there and playing in an actual game. Yeah, I think so. Uh, he only played uh, Firestone only played in three games last year for Northwestern, so that counted as his red shirt okay. season. So this is his red shirt freshman season. Okay. Um, yeah, another name that I wrote down is DJ Weselak. Oh yeah. Did you mention him? Uh, so he redshirted last year, and Coach Drinkwitz talked about him playing the edge position this year, his natural position. Man, there's just not a lot of experience here. Johnny Walker, who were, who's the most obvious starter, uh, only had seven appearances last year, had two sacks in seven appearances, mm-hmm. uh, losing so much production uh, on the ends from last year's team is rough. Yeah, Uh yeah, that's basically like... If this position was solid, we'd be talking top five, oh, yeah. potentially the best defense in the country. I mean, yes. you're not going to... Yeah, I mean, there's Georgia and Alabama, but... Yeah, I mean, p- yeah, please do not uh, get angry about this, but if there is a reason why Missouri's defense takes a step back, it's 100% going to be because of defensive end. And, you know, we lost Isaiah McGuire last year, who is a, you know, surefire, a pro. surefire pro. And he is in in the NFL right now and will be a, a very good player. And we also lost uh, DJ Coleman, who honestly was maybe one of our best players on the defense last year by himself. And, you know, he really just was constantly in the quarterback's face and was just wreaking havoc the whole season. So losing both of those guys is enormous. And I think it's gone under the radar a little bit this offseason. I think yeah. people have maybe forgotten how good those two players were and how they played the same exact position, basically, and they're both gone. So yeah. I think that I'm, I'm concerned about that. I'm not going to lie. And, you know, I think whenever the defensive ends are not doing their job, it really, really hurts the rest of the defense because you're asking corners to do things that are impossible and guard guys longer than they should have to. And it just... It just creates this glaring issue whenever there's not being the pressure is not being put on the quarterback. And hopefully, uh, Blake Baker can get creative and create some pressure from the linebackers, create some pressure from the safeties, and it won't be a problem. And with uh, if if they are able to keep Darius Robinson on the interior, he could be providing some pressure from there. Yeah, I mean, there's opportunities where we don't have to have the you know all star like all conference defensive ends and they could still have good matchups because we're making pressure in other areas yeah yeah i'm a little bit surprised that they didn't try to hit the transfer portal a little bit harder this offseason you know they got a couple guys but nobody that uh really had a whole lot of game experience i you know i think that they had opportunity to sell i think they had isaiah mcguire's production and dj coleman i mean dj coleman walked straight from fcs to f to sec and was extremely impactful so that can happen 
Okay, and Niles Gaddy. We're exactly. Ready. I mean, if that's best case scenario, if Niles Gaddy can even do half of what DJ Coleman accomplished last year, um, and then maybe we've got something. But somebody's going to have to step up. Maybe even two of these guys are going to have to really surprise us. So best case scenario here is Johnny Walker being the experienced guy makes us takes a step as an upperclassman now and shows he's ready to be a serious defensive end in the SEC. And then uh, I think it is Gaddy who it makes the most sense that would command uh, starter reps at the other end position. He looks physically ready. I just from camp pictures and video and stuff like that, you know, he's got good size. And so physically, I think he can compete. He uh, did originally go to Tennessee, basically didn't play at all there then transferred to Jackson State. Uh, in two seasons at Jackson State, he had 16 tackles for loss, including 11 sacks. It's pretty solid there. Yeah. Uh, we'll see if he can do it in his return to the SEC. Um, yeah. we. I In Weselak, too, he's got the recruiting pedigree, but just a redshirt freshman and did have an injury early in his career. So is he going to be able to step up? I wouldn't count on it, but... He, he was a legit four-star player with good measurables, and uh, you know we were super excited when he stayed home. Yep. So he might uh, have to get out there a little bit, and you know that can be fun though. Just kind of putting all these guys out there at different times and seeing how they do that can that can be fun to watch. Um, might struggle with this name, but uh, Tunkara mm-hmm. and Jakai Lang, yep. true freshman. Any yep. uh, shirt shedding possibilities there? Um, if it was going to happen at any position it'd be this one um, we hope this doesn't happen right it i mean it sounds like they've they both have have impressed the coaches it sounds like they've both been playing well um laying especially was you know a decently high rated recruit coming out of high school so i wouldn't be shocked uh if either one of those guys um were able to play enough to shed the shirt so we did. We I feel like we're kind of leaving on a downer note there. With I know the, that was uh, weird. I shouldn't have... question mark. Uh, that's what that's what happens when I let Kyle decide the I order. I guess I can um, never be a host. I can never I can never <laughs> do your job, Cameron. <laughs> um, but overall, looking at this defense, you you just said if this defense is going to be worse than last year, it'd be because the defensive ends aren't able to get it done. Yep. Now, if this defense takes a step up. It's got to be led by the defensive backfield, which is one of the best in the country. Yep. And then having um, Tyron Hopper in the middle, I just feel like that's like a a very high floor for this defense. Yeah. That. Yeah, one hundred percent. It's going to be driven by the secondary, and just I, you know, I think they've got to be as good as we think they're going to be and better. Uh, but I definitely think that Missouri's defense is still going to be really good. I, If I had to put money on it, I don't know that I see them taking a step up from last year just because they were so, so good last year. Mm-hmm. But I don't think that was a fluke by any stretch of the imagination. I think they're really that good, and I think they'll be really, really competitive again this year. But I think the hope is that the offense can help kind of compensate and meet them in the middle a little bit, and maybe they won't have to be as good as they were last year. I like that. I like that. Um, yeah, super excited for this defense again, but it's not going to be. It's, 
not surprising anybody if they're good this year. Right. And so those expectations are absolutely there yeah. that this is the strength of this team. Not going to catch anybody off guard. Right. And that's always a little bit scary. It, it always feels nicer to be like, hey, uh, nobody's really talking about this defense. Like last year, that just felt good to be like, uh, pretty sure this is, I'm pretty sure these are really good players. I'm pretty sure they're going to be good this year. Mm-hmm. And then for that to actually happen is just incredible. But then having those expectations can be uh, a little bit overwhelming sometimes. But that is your defense preview. Um, with the, I'm trying to think about the, the schedule of recording here. Uh, Kyle's going to be a brand new father any day now. Uh, so we are working around that with our recording schedule. The first game of the season's here in like uh, two weeks, three weeks now. And we still have to predict and uh, preview the full season and do our seven on seven draft. So now that we know all the players, we'll do a fun little seven on seven draft and give our final predictions for the season. How many wins will this squad, uh, how many games will this squad win? We're going to take a step forward there. Um, anything else, Kyle? I think that covers it. Nice, nice beefy episode. Oh yeah. You you ready to be a dad? I'm ready. You got your bags packed? We do. Yep. Due date is uh, in a couple days, so it could be any time. Might get a call right now. It could happen. Okay. We better wrap it up in that case. Uh, special thank you to our Patreon supporters at the $10 level and above. Britt Treese, Brian Smith, Ryan Demore, Tristan, Ben Smith, Parker, Daddy JD, Tim Keens, Tyler Harsel, Brandon Groffalo, Brandon Hanks, Matthew Tilly, and Luis Hernandez is back, folks. Back in the comments. Thank you. Thank you very much, gentlemen. You can find this podcast on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. We're on Twitter at Missouri Sports Pod, and you can email us at Missouri Sports Pod at gmail.com. You can find our t shirts and stickers on our online shop, Missouri Sports Thank you, everyone, for listening. We will see you next week. <laughs>